Track Quest Podcast. I'm your host, James Orr, and joining me for episode one, the man, the myth, the legend, Larry D. Jones. Larry's from my home state of Oregon, and at 76 years young, he's got 50 plus years of bow hunting experience. Join us while we talk blacktail deer, whitetail deer, cow steer, Rocky Mountain elk, Roosevelt elk, moose, black bear, turkey, the list goes on. If you're a bow hunter of any kind, you know Larry has paved the way for all of us. Larry's just a blast to be around, always cracking jokes. It doesn't get much better than this, so please enjoy. Hi Larry, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for coming over. Hey, thank you very much for having me here. I'm sitting here in uh, Larry's living room, just uh, nervous as can be, sitting with a guy I've looked up to for a long time, and uh, I'm really looking forward to getting this interview started. For any of you that uh, don't know Larry, um, I really can't see how you couldn't. He's a bow hunting Hall of Fame uh, member, just the, the face of bow hunting to me, a, a real icon. Um, I, I remember when I first started uh, archery hunting, making that transition from rifle hunting, mm-hmm. and uh, I turned on uh, the television set and I saw, oh, bow hunter TV, that would be a good place to uh, start checking out bow hunting. I see this guy uh, with camouflage from head to toe, uh, toting a recurve, and he's in the rainforest. I mean, it looks like he's in my backyard. Uh, I think you were in my backyard, Larry. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you were. And uh, you got a large backyard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, uh, uh, you know, that's kind of uh, what laid the footwork of me uh, in, in archery. I mean, I, I just looked up to uh, to you guys and um, uh, started. Uh, I, st- I started out hunting with a compound and um, uh, found some success there, and then moved to the recurve. Um, and, and I was just drawn to it. I, I don't know what it was. It was just uh, seeing uh, the guys that shot them. Uh, there was just this force that drew me to it. Uh, and um, being in the, the rainforest and, and having my uh, face painted up and, and a recurve in my hand, uh, uh, it, it just uh, takes me back, makes me feel like a little kid again. And, and uh, I appreciate uh, uh, all you've done for bow hunting. Well, thank you. So how how long have you been bow hunting for, Larry? Uh, I started in 1961. No, 62, 62. I got married in 61. Okay. Yeah, up uh. to that point, I, I rifle hunted with uh, my family for meat. <laughs> yeah, and you come from a pretty large family, Larry? Yeah, I got uh, five brothers and two sisters. And uh, did... Uh, all of them were rifle hunters, and any of them uh, uh, follow you into archery? Yeah, I was the first in the family, and some of my aunts and, and uncles used to make a little fun of me until I, I started killing elk every year, and then they started asking questions how to do it. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, So, but I have uh, uh, five brothers, and four of them uh, are, actually three of them now are s- still bow hunting. And my older brother, Jim, he's uh, 78, and uh, he loves it. And uh, I guess I've got three brothers. 
that have and my brother Marv he's uh just a couple years younger than I am I'm 75 and <clears throat> they they look forward to the elk season every year and often kill elk <laughs> and and you're from uh, Oregon yes mm-hmm. and um Roosevelt elk were, were those the first elk you hunted or yes they were I started hunting years ago there was a um, what they call a hazing hunt up by Astoria to keep the elk away from the farmer's fields and stuff. That was in December, actually. One of, one the of December hunt? Huh? Yeah. And uh, believe it or not, my second weekend, I killed my first elk. <laughs> That's not fair, Larry. <laughs> I know. Uh. And then, then I uh, you know, went back, and I got, of course, that supercharged me to elk hunting. And I uh, went back, and uh, I killed seven more elk up there uh you know eight a string of eight in eight years and eight eight roosevelt bulls in eight years no 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 these were antlerless okay well, eight roosevelt elk yes mm-hmm. Rose, still uh it's a, i mean just finding uh uh these brush monsters uh yeah uh so that that's quite a run uh but you know what that did you know nowadays i love to call them of course but uh that that was a really good uh uh, way to start because I was I learned their habits. I learned where those elk like to feed, where they like to bed, you know. <clears throat> and I, I I found out that you know if I I tracked them, I could I could find them. Not that I could kill them all the time. You sure. Know, you have a lot of encounters before you kill one. Sure. But yeah, that was so that made made a really good knowledge bed for me when I started calling elk. So, um, yeah, that's how I got started in elk hunting. Uh, and so calling elk, uh, when did that come about? And were, were there guys doing it at the time? Uh, the or? only guy that really did much that I knew about was Billy Cruz. It was a local guy here. You may not even heard him. I've heard, heard the name. Yeah, well, Billy died in a plane accident looking. You know, he was flying over elk country, him and his son. Uh, tragic. But uh, Billy uh, was hunting the... Wallowa Mountains, in, in in the Minam River area, and uh, he was killing bulls pretty regularly. And I got talking to him, got excited about it, and and that's how I got started. And then I wanted to hear what the elk sounded like. So Henrik's Park, which is in, in Eugene, it's still there. Uh, they had an elk in there, a bull elk. Oh, and I went up there. Uh, I don't remember the exact date, in September probably, and, or August. I might have been late August. And uh, I tried these little calls that they had. Nothing worked. God, I was really disappointed. And then a, a, a car's brakes, somebody hit their brakes down in the city, which made a squeal, and the bull bugled and answered it. So <laughs> I got to hear one. And so I kind of tried to mimic it with my boys, and uh, actually a couple—I think a couple of years later—I'd uh, killed this spike elk up in the Minam Valley, in the area where Billy had hunted. And uh, Jim Brackenberry, who is that the Eagle Cap area? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and Jim ba- Brackenberry, who started Black, yeah, uh, Brackenberry bows. Uh, <clears throat> I come out. I was walking the trail at night, and I seen a campfire. I was I was killed the elk, and I was on my way back, and uh, saw 
I was about midnight, <laughs> 11 o'clock maybe. Mm-hmm. So I went over and started talking to him. It was Jim Brackenberry and, and uh, his buddy uh, Daryl Belcher. And uh, they said, well, we'll help you go up there and pack that out tomorrow. And I said, okay. So I went back and we went up there. I said, take your bows because there's two, three little basins up here. And uh, there's a lot of elk sign in there. And so we went up there and we split up. And I decided, goofing around with my voice, you know, trying to bugle. And gosh, I got an answer. And it didn't sound much different than what I did. <laughs> and this six-point bull walks in. Of course, I, I already tagged out. <laughs> but that's what got me cranked. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's awesome. Uh, how, how do you find, uh, what differences uh, do you see hunting the Roosevelt elk versus the Rocky Mountain elk? Uh, well, mainly where they live. Mm-hmm. You know, as you well know, your backyard's somewhat of a rainforest, but not really. It's just a, a jungle. Yeah, jungle. And, and it gets lots of rain. Uh, <clears throat> and it's also, uh, uh, the, the coast range is where, the, you know, west of I-5, uh, is where the Roosevelt elk live, and anyway, here in Oregon, <clears throat> there's some up in Washington and a few in Northern California, but uh, they live in this jungle, but also in a in a lot of the area is very steep and and broken country, you know, a lot of little ridge and uh, hogbacks, and a lot of deep little canyons. They're not huge canyons, but they're steep. And brushy, which makes it very difficult to get around and um, you know get on them. Do, do you think that habitat uh, um, lends itself to uh, the elk using a smaller range because um, uh, they've got the food, water, and cover right there? And, and it almost seems to me like they're more territorial because um, uh, they don't need to cover very much ground, so they're happy staying in the ground that they're they're in because they don't want to run to the next group mm-hmm. in the next brush hole. It seems to be my uh, thought on it. What, what's your thoughts? Well, on I, that? I think you're right on. Um, you know, uh, a lot of times, uh, for example, the difference between Roosevelt elk and Rocky Mountain elk, or I guess they call it American elk, American now, elk, mm-hmm. is that uh, American elk might travel from a feed area to a bedding area uh, two or three miles, sometimes maybe five miles, where Roosevelt elk might bed up right on the edge of the of a clear cut, you know. Right. I mean, they're right there. And so I think that Roosevelt elk, their range is only about five miles, mm-hmm. maybe. Yeah. Unless the feed changes, and then they can move further. But And, and uh, American elk oftentimes in the wintertime will migrate 50 miles, maybe right. even further, right. to get to the feed, you know, because of the snow levels and stuff. So we have a milder climate on the Oregon coast and, and where, where the Roosevelt live. And so that's one of the main, big differences. When, when calling, calling them, there's, there's really no difference as far as what kind of calls you use and that sort of thing. But the sound doesn't carry very far for Roosevelt elk. And because of the amount of vegetation, I think, absorbs it and the broken ridges where, you know, you're just calling right. into smaller areas. So my, my technique, which is not a rocket science at all, is I call a lot more. I mm-hmm. call into every little nook and cranny. And 
and they don't seem to get cranked up as easily. I mean, you, you might walk out there and blow your call, and, and bam, one comes right back at you. That happens, but most generally, you got to nag at them a while and get them to get them stirred up. But they they'll bugle and come to the call just as easily as the American elk. It almost seems, in the right circumstance, the the young immature bulls will act. Uh, uh, a little tougher on, on the on the wet side on the on the rock on the Roosevelt side than on that's been my experience. I, I don't know if that's been yours. It seems like some of these spikes and four point bulls will act like they are king of the mountain. Where um, over on the American elk side, it seems like those elk are more t- timid and wanting to run. What, what's been in your experience? Uh, I don't know if I've seen that difference. Um, some of the American elk areas have a higher bull cow ratio, right? And that'll always make a difference on how sure. those younger bulls. That makes spot. sense, yeah. yeah. But um, you know the some of the places that I've hunted Roosevelt elk because of uh, the outcry of the spotted elk, for example, sure. there is not the clear cuts that we used to see in some of those areas, and that makes feed area is not as plentiful. In other words, when they clear cut it, it's a better feed area. Right. You got new growth. You got yeah. the sun hitting yeah. the ground, yeah. the grass coming yeah. up. And, it really creates a grocery store and, for them. And so we don't have the numbers of elk that we used to. Yeah. So I, th- I think tough. that's coming back up. I mean, the logging practices are, yeah. are really in full swing right now. Mm-hmm. And But they, a lot of those areas are being thinned. It helps, but it's not the same as clear cut. Clear cuts, yeah. Right. Clear cuts are going to be much better yeah, feed areas. Yeah, creates a, a really big uh, feed mm-hmm. area. Um, so, at the end of the day, uh, we know elk is your favorite species to hunt. Yep. <laughs> uh, d- does it matter to you, Rockies, Rosies? No. Uh, you know, I, I like to go where there's elk, and I like to go where there's not as many people. I mean, everybody wants that. Yeah. Because the less people, the yeah. probably the better. Better calling explain. action yes and you know I, I can i can get on elk without calling but calling is so much fun it is so much fun yeah it really i mean <clears throat> and you know i i have actually i haven't killed an elk in five years but i've been the caller for about five people in this yeah. last five years <laughs> i mean i'm just happy to get my hands on uh, on on someone else's and help them pack it out yeah. i mean I get a call in the middle of the night. Someone's got one down, and I'm just get that pack board out, and I'm just I'm just uh, uh, ready to go. Uh, I'll remember that. I'll call yeah, you. <laughs> I'm that guy. I'm definitely that guy for sure. Um, so, would you say elk is your favorite species to hunt? Mm-hmm. But is it your favorite species? Yeah, probably. I would say it's probably my favorite species, species. just because, w- without a doubt, elk are probably is is difficult to hunt it's anything i mean people will claim that mule deer are harder or whitetails are harder but they haven't experienced all the species sure you know so each of us have or maybe our own but there's all challenges and and i think elk is one of the bigger challenges just from the standpoint where they live yeah absolutely you know um i i I love how vocal they are i love where they live (laughs) And uh, I love how much meat you get when you get one. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
so it's definitely my favorite uh, uh, species to hunt also, but I hold the black-tailed deer uh, very dear to my heart. Um, just just uh, something about a mature buck with his double throat patch and his heavy dark chocolate antlers. Um, he's number one in my book, but he's not as much fun to pursue. He's a uh, very difficult species to yeah. pursue. I mean, especially your mature bucks. Yeah. In my opinion, they are quite a challenge. You'll have guys uh, that are whitetail hunters, for example, that are just, that's the only species, that, you know, that's the toughest one. They'll say that until they try to come kill a nice black-tailed buck. And, then, uh, and again, it's, it's, it's a lot easier, in my opinion, to hunt some of those whitetails because just where they live. Right. I mean, they got cornfields out here. They got a little chunks of brush or patches of timber. Sure. And you can figure it out on there's pinch points and stuff a lot easier than you, than you can where you're going out in this forest with clear cuts. Yeah, the clear cuts will be feed areas for them. But, you know, they can be anywhere. The, yeah, the broken up habitat mm-hmm. can make reading it. I, I, I had a special draw tag uh, in eastern Oregon for elk, and the area's got meadows and lots of clear cuts and, and small timber stands. And you could pretty much just know where the elk were going to be. And then if you bumped them, you kind of knew where they were going to go yeah. mm-hmm. because it was just a, the layout was so obvious. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I imagine that uh, Midwest whitetail guys uh, with their wood lots and stuff, it's, it's similar to that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's really not too much difference between hunting the whitetails and the blacktails as far as, you know, you, you got to learn their, where their bedding areas are, where their feed areas are, and, you know, try to set up between them or pinch points. Uh, and personally, I since since I videotape a lot of my hunts, especially my blacktail hunts, uh, I don't really want a cameraman along, <laughs> even right. though it, it makes my skill level have to go up a bit because right. you know I got the challenge of getting the footage and, and making the shot. But uh, I would say there's not much difference between trying to kill a, a big mature whitetail than a big mature. Sure. Yeah. Once they <clears throat> and I was just visiting with a friend just just yesterday, and we were talking about blacktails and you know you can hunt you is still hunting. For example, you try to still hunt a blacktail, you'll see does and you see some smaller bucks and occasionally maybe a big buck, but until you put out trail cameras and you see how many mature bucks there are that come in at night, you know. Yeah, nocturnal. Nocturnal. Very. That's the same way with the whitetails. You see them. So you, both of them you're going to see midsummer out in the cornfields or fields where mm-hmm. where the whitetails yeah. live and out in the clear cuts where yeah. our blacktails live. So that's one of your best times. Growing your, their antlers. Yeah, doing mm-hmm. your scouting because their antlers are soft. They don't like to get in that heavier brush and, and bump them around on mm-hmm. there. I mean, that's my my scan on it but <laughs> i think that the, the sun actually grows them too i mean oh could yeah um you, know, you look at the states with lots of sun mm-hmm. and look at the antler growth it's so in similarities also the whitetails live in a very small area i think blacktail lives in one square mile basically yeah. about one square mile yeah. And and, uh, and once going back to that brush, right? And, that habitat that uh, and gives them. We a, had a we had a, a white doe out at uh, Marcola. 
Oh, albino? Yeah, and I seen her and t- took pictures of her, you know, this years ago. And she was, never seen her over really a quarter of a mile away from where you've seen her on the other end of it. Right. So she lived right there in that little, probably yeah. a half square mile yeah. area, you know. Mm-hmm. She finally got hit by a car yeah. and killed, but... Um, so the only difference is when they're rutting, those, those bucks will travel quite a ways, and there'll be a larger area. No. But they'll come back to the same locations. I, I have really zero experience with white-tailed deer. How do you feel? Um, have you hunted them? Because I know with blacktails and whitetails, you know, if you talk Kansas or southern Oregon, this is areas where you have high deer populations, um, and I imagine that the deer act a little different than when you're hunting, say, uh, the Oregon coast or uh, maybe New York or something for whitetails where there are lower deer densities and less of that uh, um, broken up ground with the cornfields and all that. I mean, would you say that um, uh, the deer with the smaller populations are going to be just tougher to hunt because of that or? Well, I think that's probably obvious. I mean, the less animals you have, the harder it is to kill one. But their habits will be pretty much the same. You know, it's just, you just have to learn to, to locate them. But um, the difference between, one of the differences between whitetails and blacktails is a lot, some of the places they hunt whitetails, there's a ton of deer. Yeah. Ton of deer. Like I see just the guys seeing just yeah. 20 and 30 deer. Yeah. And I, I sat 70 hours in a tree stand this year for blacktail deer, and I only seen a handful of them. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So uh, they're, they're, uh, it doesn't mean everywhere you hunt them you're going to see it. And even though they got a lot of deer, it doesn't mean you're going to get in a tree stand and have 18 pass by you in the morning. No. But uh, especially in some metropolitan areas where they actually can hunt them, you know, bow hunt right. deer. I mean, they have a, they have way too many deer. They like to kill a bunch of them off. So you can actually kill five or six deer. Yeah, a lot of the whitetail yeah. guys are you know sh- are able to shoot a, quite a few deer. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like yeah, we get an elk tag, but yeah, you know, they're getting uh, the opportunity to put uh, eight nine of these deer in their freezer and or more and, or more and get <laughs> yeah. some experience. In some of these states, it's a deer a day. Yeah, uh, Mississippi, Alabama, some of these places you can shoot. So a, it doesn't mean though that it's going to be easy. Sure, I yeah. mean because. Uh, uh, I've hunted Alabama, and some of that country is real thick and you know hard to hunt. Now, do these whitetails, um, when the rut is on, I mean, it seems from footage, and you know, it, it could be skewed, like they just really throw caution to the wind um, and uh, start running around kind of with their head cut off. And with blacktails, I mean, they stop being nocturnal, which is great. They're up on their feet, but it still seems like they're walking around on eggshells. I mean, that's been my experience. Well, that's probably the same with mature bucks, no matter wherever you're no at. No matter where yeah. you're at. But, I mean, we all know that they get a little bit silly when, you know, the they let the wrong head do their, their thinking. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, you know. So, so uh, uh, when did you uh, go to the tree stand and decide to stop uh, searching for these blacktails on, on foot? Oh, uh, man, that's been years ago. Um I've only killed, I've killed, I mean, five or six blacktails just sneaking around and that sort of thing, or spotting them and try to get down on them, you know, in a canyon or something. 
I tried that for it, seven years, and I finally uh, went to the tree stand yeah. and, and, and got one. Yeah. And actually, I think one of my biggest bucks I killed, um, I think someone spooked it, and it came to me. You know, okay. I, I mm-hmm. can't remember exactly. It's been so long now. But uh, How about calling? Have you utilized calling uh, oh, for yeah. black-tailed deer? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you've seen that episode where I, I rattled it in. in uh, I think I was just mainly rattling on that thing. I'll probably do some grunts because I do bl- grunts and bleats and rattles all in the same type of sequence. Sometimes I'll just do s- soft grunts, you know, depending on situations. But uh, I've killed, I killed that about a 120 buck, oh, in 2008, I think, which I rattled and grunted okay. in. Were you on the ground? Uh, no, I was in a tree in stand. In the sand? Calling from the ground, I called quite a few deer, rattling basically and um but killing them is really really painful because mm-hmm. you know uh, i've had them come running right in you know but a lot of times they sneak and when you're in a tree you can see them coming so much further away because a lot of the stuff will be if you if you rattle in a, a ch- chunk of ground that had a lot of cell l you know what cell l is oh, yeah right? mm-hmm. it's real big heavy leaves and it makes a lot of noise and it's yeah. hard to get through it it's almost impossible to yeah. get through it if you can get in the center of that and make make a call you can hear them coming yeah. you know but otherwise they're just like up here and they see you before you can get drawn so, but up in the tree it's different yeah and i, I, and I killed i killed another nice uh, non-typical and uh i'd done a little scouting and, and put the tree stand up the night before and get in there before daylight this it started getting camera right light i i did uh, some uh doe bleats uh, two or three of those and then i and then i followed it up with with two or three grunts and i heard and here he come and i shot him through the heart and yeah that's, that's that buck yeah so, that's that's so it, you know a lot, the, the thing about rattling and calling you have to do it a lot cuz most of the time it doesn't seem to work Right. So uh, is, there a, is there a time frame like what well, I see our, our late bow season in Oregon starts like what the second week of November? And, and it seems to me like my birthday is October 28th. And it seems like I'll ride around then big bucks are showing up in town, ta- you know, around town. You're going mm-hmm. to the grocery store, or whatever. You're seeing the bucks up on their feet everywhere. Uh, well, I, I've drawn the Willamette unit. Oh, yeah. A couple of times and have killed bucks. That's a good opportunity because yeah. you get that first week in November. And I think that's your best I time. think it is, too. Uh, I think you're absolutely I think you right. can actually, your calling will work best in, in if, here in Oregon in the late rifle season. In other words, uh, late October. Yeah. And then clear up through Thanksgiving. Yeah. But it's going to work best in that first the first the first days. Yeah, probably. the first one, the first go round, especially yeah, the on the coast. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that buck that I told you I rattled in, that was on the twelfth of November. November, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I've actually been contemplating on uh, buying my general season rifle tag this year and uh, hunting tree stand uh, with my bow. I just feel like where I'm at uh, on the coast. The bucks are really up and moving in that last week of rifle mm. season, 
and it really drops mm-hmm. off. Um, mm-hmm. um, it seems like it, it, there's a good flurry in that Thanksgiving time in the valley and down in the Medford and stuff and some of the places I hump on the coast. It seems to be pretty well over by November 10th or so. Yeah, uh, I don't know. Around uh, here, uh, after Thanksgiving is really bad. Uh, I think that even the secondary rut is probably pretty much over. You'll get a, you'll get a, maybe one now and then, but they just they've been rutting for almost a month. Yeah, and they are just worn out, and they just go lay down and and don't move very far at all. I, you hardly see any movement. Yeah, I've I've had my best luck going south uh, in in the later in the season. Um, mm-hmm. Seems like there's a migration down there, and then maybe mm-hmm. a little more deer pile in. Um, so transitioning from blacktail deer, uh, which I don't know why we'd do that. I could talk about them forever. Right. Uh, I know you've hunted the uh, cow's deer. Mm-hmm. Did I pronounce that right? Yes, you have. Um, you, you, that seems to be uh, amongst uh, a lot of guys that pursue them. Uh, they say it's the hardest uh, big game animal in North America uh, to harvest. What's your thought on that? Well, it's certainly a, up at the top of the list. As far as the deer species, I think it is. Uh, they are... Uh, small, flighty, nervous. Now, small uh, black uh, uh, blacktail buck uh, is larger. In oh size? yeah, a lot bigger. Okay, so <laughs> well, you know, 120 pound mature buck weight. Uh, that would be a big one. Okay. Yeah, probably more like a hundred pounds. Okay. <clears throat> and as far as cows, deer. And that's a whitetail subspecies. Yeah, and you know some of the the whitetails back in. Uh, in, in Alberta and Iowa and some of those country areas that have um, really good feed, you know, mm-hmm. they they get up to around three hundred pounds. Yeah, yeah. Uh, where, uh, boy, if you see a a blacktail that weighs two hundred, that's a pig. Yeah, yeah. On the hoof, you know, yeah. uh, average, really good blacktail field dress would be maybe one hundred and fifty, sixty pounds. Okay. Yeah. And I imagine that that cow's deer, if it's field dress, is maybe 80 pounds. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, something a, like that. A little they're just little guys. Anyway, uh, but they're very cautious, almost like over-nervous. They, they walk like they, they glance to the right, glance to the left, look straight forward, glance right, left, then take a step, you know. Wired it's kind of like, sound, mm-hmm, huh? yeah, it's like, yeah. It's like they've been on steroids, you know. Dang. And uh, so well, that's What do you think is causing that? It's just their just nature, their nature. Just the way they are, and and they live where, you know, the the cougars take them and that sort of thing. Yeah. So, but I, we have cougars taking blacktail. Now, so aren't they? Don't they? Do they share a range with the mule deer? Yeah, yeah. Down in like Arizona and New Mexico, and uh-huh. uh, Mexico, well, there'll be mule deer in the same and, areas. And, and they stand out uh, uh, to be quite more uh, wiry than than the mule deer. Oh. Not quite, just like a, a double, double. There's no comparison, but uh, so some of the some of the guys, you know, some of the, the those cows deer live in fairly open country, and it's difficult country because it's cactus and and gravel and grit. You know, hard to get up on them. So tree stand so, hunting is well. Not very many trees. Oh. <laughs> so have... There is no trees. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, you either have to uh, maybe use a ground blind. 
set up near some water. Uh, some areas don't have water, or they have a, a little creek going down through them, and there's no, you know, like secluded uh, spots that's away from, you know, everything else where you could, you know, right. know they're going to come there. Right. So that makes it difficult. Uh, so and there is they... there is some areas like that I've hunted that I've actually put up a tree stand. Uh, but they're not not much of a tree, <laughs> you know, right. compared to what we have here. And so, there's guys that stock them. And the thing that is, uh, they're getting in really close. You know, some of these guys shoot compounds. They might be taking 40, 50, 60 yard shots. Where yeah. us guys with stick bows. Yeah, it's tough to, you know, to cut that. Thirty yard shots, shots, a long one, and hard. you may not be in the bed when you shoot. Right. I mean, after you, right. by the time your arrow gets there. Yeah. <laughs> that's the way they are. So, yeah. so you've managed to get an arrow in one. Yeah, I shot one. Uh, actually, uh, videotaped it. And it was from a tree. Okay. Yeah, it was it was down in southern part of Arizona. <clears throat> so um, I've had. Um, Were you sitting on uh, water there? Or no. Just, just sign. That, that that was when they could bait them. Okay. And that's illegal to bait them now. But uh, a guy down there that I knew, he set up some baits and said I could use it on the spots. So that's how I got it. Okay. Yeah, baiting has a controversial. Um, well, yeah, which is silly. Well, I, I agree hundred percent. I, I uh, um, the, the thing I ran is, baits for blacktail deer, and yeah. there's no uh, there's no uh, guarantee. I mean, it is just as much work going through the baiting process, and it's a lot uh, of work. A lot yeah, of it, work. yeah, it's a ton of work. I mean, I was uh, uh, feeding. Uh, uh, four different sites, apples uh, every other day. I'm picking apples. I'm packing apples. Uh, yeah, I did that for a month uh, before the season, and it wasn't like I went hunting and seen all kinds of deer because they come to uh, those sites at nighttime for the most part. Anybody that I think is that says that that baiting, when no matter what it's deer, or bear, or whatever, uh, is unethical. In my my opinion, is probably a anti hunter, right? Because if it's legal, it's legal. Yeah, and I know. It's, if whatever's what's ethical is what's legal. Legal. That's my opinion. Right. And I think, um, like like you said, I had a couple of years ago. I had four four baits going, and I went through about forty. Five gallon buckets, so that would be about two hundred gallons of apples. Yeah, yep. <laughs> and I picked those up along the edges of roads. And Me too. Whatever place I, I, I I've them. made friends with so many people yeah. who have an apple tree. Mm-hmm. I actually uh, I, I plugged in a chest freezer mm-hmm. and I filled it up with apples, mm-hmm. so that uh, come the end of November, uh, if I still needed apples, I still had them. Yeah, uh, and. <clears throat> I would guess that I fed um, maybe a couple dozen deer, made them fatter, and a whole bunch of squirrels, birds, you know, a lot of critters fed off those. And I got the enjoyment of watching some does. And um, occasionally, I'll shoot a buck. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Because a lot of the deer that come in, come in at night. Yep. Yep. 
So right, right there in that last slide, yeah. they, so, they show up. You know, I, I just it just makes me cringe when people start saying uh, it's controversial, that uh, it's not ethical. Uh, well, I think a lot of a lot of our community just is uneducated on it. You know, yeah. and, and rifle guys. I mean. It, to get a shot at a at a, a cow's deer or a blacktail um, with a stick bow, uh, it, it's tough. But so. you you can set up on trails and and uh, you know the person that would say that's unethical would not be against setting up uh, his tree stand or a ground blind next to an apple tree. Sure. You know, the only thing that's different or is put a worm on his hook. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> the only thing that's different is. That it's a heck of a lot more work to carry the apples and put them in a spot. It you is. Know? <laughs> yeah, it, it, it is. Some of the places I had to carry them a mile. Yeah, yeah. I had a I had a spot that I was actually um, going to a gate and loading up a uh, mountain bike, a kid hauler mountain bike trailer, yeah. and then riding three miles with the with the bike trailer to. to uh, Sounds like uh, somebody I know. Yeah, and and then uh, some bears showed up, and and once they show up, it's over. So the yeah. game game over and start over somewhere else. But uh, that's that seems yep. to be the name of the game. So uh, you've hunted um, cows, deer, blacktail, whitetail, mule deer. Um, you know, just real quick, give me like kind of a rundown of uh, uh, the, the differences you've seen in, in their behavior and, and um, um, how you've enjoyed hunting them. Well, and also uh, touch on, touching on the meat um, aspect of it. Uh, how, what the differences you found uh, in the table fair? Hmm. Well, the table fair part of it. Um, to me, mule deer has a little st- stronger taste because they what they're feeding on. Mm-hmm. Uh, whitetail is going to be your best tasting because they're eating corn, and <laughs> of course that's got saturated fat in it, so it's not as good for you. But well, that, those blacktails on apples are hard to beat. Well, uh, blacktails is awfully good. Uh, I mean, I have some blacktail and mule deer in the freezer, and if I had to choose, I would be choosing my blacktail steaks first you know but they're both good uh and uh you know i've only eaten one cow's deer so because uh, i want to kill one and that was delicious but i can't i don't know where to put it in the, in the number of how good it was as far as their behaviors i think mule deer uh, are of course found in different locations and uh most hunters will will use the binoculars and glass them up, and, and I'm talking about bow hunters, of course. Yeah, uh, and rifle hunters too. Yeah, uh, your your uh, DVD uh, that you put out uh, way back there, um, oh, hunting open country mule, mule deer. deer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, yeah, I love that. So film. Uh, we have, you know, you, you're going to glass them, try to bed them up, and make circles, come down, get the wind on them, and try to. You know, sneak in. So mule deer can actually be, once you find them, can be easier to hunt than a lot of the deer because you know where they're at. And if you're just really patient and go slow, you can usually get right up on them unless the wind gets you. Doesn't mean you're going to kill them, sure. but, but you know, you got to, everything's got to kind of fall in line like any of our hunting. Uh, so that's how, how their, their daily habits is, you know, they get up. Um, late in the day, and they'll feed through most of the night, maybe bed a couple times, even doing that, and then they'll uh, <clears throat> bed up fairly early in the morning. A lot, if you're, you're going after a really big, mature buck, you want to be right there looking 
as, as it just gets starts getting light because some of those big mature bucks will bed down right, real early. And uh, then, you know, once you know where they are, you just watch them until the wing comes up and make your, your stock on them. Um, so, but I think whitetails and blacktails are pretty much, their habits are pretty much the same. You know, what, the space that they live in and, and uh, the, but cows, deer, they're scattered around. Uh, there's concentrations. You have to just kind of research that. And they can live in open desert to, you know, steep, rocky oak brush. Um, there's down in, around Tucson, uh, in those mountains, there's some, some oaks, live oaks down in there. They're not very big, but you can find a tree, you know, trees that you could put a stand in if you wanted to, but... Uh, there's not huge concentrations like you might find in whitetails, so it's it's a real challenge. Okay, uh, that, that definitely uh, sounds. I don't know why it's just like uh, uh, difficulty, right? Hunt with mm-hmm. the stick bow. Uh, it's like oh, that's the hardest deer to hunt. Well, shoot, I want to go try that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure why, but uh. so uh, and and um, as far as calling, you use the same calls on all of them. You, use, you know, you can use rattling, you can use grunts, you can use bleats, you can do fawn balls, um, and um, what they call it, grunt snort wheeze, which uh, is kind of a, a, a threatening type of a sound. Have you used calling for mule deer uh, in oh, yeah. the late season? Mm-hmm. And uh, they respond well, too? Mm-hmm. Especially if you get them, you know, in the rut. They're, actually, they're... they're uh, Probably easy, one of the easier species easier to call. Calling. And Sitka blacktail, which you have not mentioned. Oh, yeah, uh, we, we did it, miss out on that. And uh, they are probably some of the easier deer to hunt um, just because where they live. Yeah. You know, and, um, meaning that they live in Ala- basically Alaska, some of uh, British Columbia. Um, and uh, yeah, isn't there some footage you guys using some like uh, decoys on your head? Yeah, 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 that's great. That, yeah. that, that's a dream hunt right there. So uh, you don't want to do that where there's great population, but sure. a lot of the areas where you hunt them in, in Alaska, um, you know, you can actually spot them and stalk in on them. I hunted a couple of years ago with my friend Bob Amin, who's been dubbed Blacktail Bob. Because he's killed so many of them. Oh, I've heard of Blacktail Bob. Bob. Yeah. Okay, yeah. He's a he's a special guy. Yeah, <clears throat> and quite a hunter. Anyway, um, we backpacked up a very steep mountain to the top of it, where it just got a little bit open, and mm-hmm. where we could glass them. And and uh, Bob killed a buck there, and I didn't. And uh, uh, you know, the, the thing about him is they. Because they hardly ever have contact with humans, sometimes they'll stand around them and like, oh, what's that? And you can get a shot, you know, where you couldn't with a blacktail buck. And, sure. You know, but they're, uh, those deer are blocky. They're not as big as the black. They're the most beautiful, yeah. I think, of all. Yeah, the Colombian blacktail are probably are the largest yeah. of, the, of the blacktail series, but, but they're also easy to call. I've called them in, rattling and... And uh, using bleats and grunts. Okay. Decoying, too. Decoying, too, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, have you hunted them early season? Uh, before no, the rut? No, mainly, mainly rut time. Rut time? Yeah. Okay. 
and then they come. Uh, uh, <clears throat> well, actually, first of August, I uh, I've hunted them then, but uh, we weren't calling them there. We were just spotting stock. About the last week of October, October. you want to be hunting yeah. if you can. And some guys hunt them on the beach off of boats and stuff, mm-hmm. don't they? Yeah. If you hunt places like Kodiak Island, um, you got a lot of brown bears. So if you hunt sure. them with a rifle, you got to be really careful because they hear the gunshot. Here they come. Dinner bell, yeah. 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 I've heard about some pretty serious encounters. Okay. Well, uh, since we're uh, in Alaska, um, you took a, a pretty good moose in Alaska, didn't you? Mm-hmm. Um, maybe tell us that story. Oh, you want that whole story? We'll go, we'll go okay. for the okay. We're going for the short version. We'll go for the short version. Okay. That's fine. We are so, we are uh, run, run, running uh, running good here, but okay. So I went as a cameraman uh, behind Mr. James, founder of Bowhunter Magazine. Yep. Okay, and um, I asked the guide. I said, if Mr. kills one early, would I have a chance to hunt? And he said, Yeah, but you have to pay a trophy fee. So I said, Okay. So. Um, the good part was that he could issue legally issue me a license and tag in camp, oh, okay. so I didn't have to buy anything up front. Okay. So, uh, Mr. killed a really nice moose on the second day. <laughs> oh, you're, oh, the plot thickens. <laughs> yeah, and so and uh, so uh, Mr. took over as cameraman and. Uh, I got to hunt moose for eight days and called in a bunch of bulls. That was just really a fantastic hunt. And then I think I had, it was on the, see, I had eight days, so I would have been the sixth or seventh day. Uh, we took a boat down the river and got out, and uh, I think the guide was Gary Tom's. And he did some calling, and then we heard a bull, or else we heard it. I don't remember. We just heard it every call in there, and it was, we passed the spot. So we got in the boat, went back up the riverways, and got out, and then uh, went up and set up. And then Gary started calling, <clears throat> and you could hear this bull coming through the alders, a big patch of alders along the river, and it sounded. What I would think a, a, a caterpillar cat would sound like pushing down trees. It was like, oh my! And he comes out and uh, and comes down. He's raking. I mean, just anyway, he comes in right past me in about twenty yards, and I put an arrow in him, and he almost runs Mr. down. Oh, wow. <laughs> and uh, it turns out. That I watched him go down because uh, it was up on a little ridge, and he went down and got went into the river. And you know they're famous for dying in the yeah, water. Yeah. And he gets about three fourths away across, and he stops. And I go like, "Oh no, keep going, please, please keep going." You can do that. <laughs> and he kept going. He got out, and he went about fifty yards and dropped. <laughs> <sighs> it turned out that he, uh, at the time, he he scored uh, uh, two. Let's see what was it? Two twenty four and some some eights, which was uh, the fifth largest ever taken with a bow. Dang. Yeah, he's of course a little further down the ladder now. But sure. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, boy, what a what an encounter! You know? he, he he probably got your heart coming out of your chest, huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And we captured it all on video, so it was 
Oh, Pretty man. special. I've never seen that footage. I'm going to have to look that yeah. up. That, yeah. that That is awesome. That is great. Um, well, hey, I'd like to... Uh, to uh, wrap this up with, um, you know, we got springtime coming. Mm-hmm. Are you a bear guy or turkey guy? Yep. Both, huh? <laughs> I, I, uh, I like spring bear hunting, but I, it's not my favorite meat, so I don't, and I killed, you know, a dozen or so bear and some pretty nice ones, so uh, I'll, I'll opt at turkey hunt this spring. Yeah, you. Uh, uh, I know you get your grandkids out. Are you planning any uh, any trips? Getting your grandkids out for turkeys? Yep, as well? I I have a grandson up in uh, Seattle area that we're planning on. Oh, that's special. See if I can get him on a mentoring program, and I gotta get with that. Oh man, that that uh, that ought to be great. Um, yeah, I'm uh, I'm looking forward. To, I'm a bear guy. I've never never pursued the bird yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll tell you, I don't know if the turkeys are starting to rut now, but. I'm coming over on the 38, and I seen they were everywhere I looked. They were strutting. They were mm-hmm. uh, fighting. Um, it seemed like it's, it's beginning right now. Yeah, don't mention roads. Oh, oops, sorry about that. <laughs> we got, we've got a. Uh, Just we, we can we can edit out that highway name. Okay. <laughs> uh, so uh, yeah, um, do you uh, do you have any? Um, uh, advice uh, as far as uh, spring bear hunting for guys, because uh, here in Oregon we can't bait the bears, and so right. we're, we're left to um, spot and stock. Spot and stock. Um, well, your best your best areas to find bears uh, in the spring is they'll be eating mainly grasses and, okay. and, and new stuff that's coming up along. Especially if you've had quite a hard winter, you'll have the fresh vegetation come up along creeks and stuff. So the water's Important, of course, plenty in the coastal range, but um, <clears throat> they'll be feeding in in on grass mainly in uh, clear cuts, and uh, usually early morning and late evening is going to be your best times. But I know guys that kill them right in the middle of the day. But bear will often feed all day long because they're trying to get their body weight back up from. Mm-hmm. from the, Have you tried calling them? Yes, I have, and I've called the bear in. Uh, I would probably use a, a fawn ball, you mm-hmm. know, type of sound. And <clears throat> what you want to look on the, you, you probably want to concentrate on the south and southwest slopes because that's okay. where the sun's hitting the ground and the, the fresh grass is coming up. Also, gated logging roads, old logging roads that have a good amount of grass along the edge okay. of them. Uh, the other tip that might be helpful if if you glass a bear on a hillside let's say it's 10 o'clock in the morning you can probably count on seeing that bear there tomorrow unless somebody okay pushes him not day after day after day but they often will linger linger in the same areas and, and actually feed across the same hillside especially you know if you're some of the eastern oregon area they they eat wild onions and stuff in those patches you okay. know that if you know um, I've got a, we've got a mutual friend, uh, Chuck, Wendy Lindy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Chuck told me, uh, that I should ask you about, a a bear story in the Snake River that happened during elk hunting. Is that a, is that appropriate or? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> he remembers it. <laughs> well, I was hunting, uh, elk and, uh, he probably got a better story than I do on it. I don't know. Anyway, uh, came upon a bear and, and, uh. I snuck up on it. It was a cinnamon-colored bear, and uh, I started stalking. My son was with me, 
And I said, you stay right here. And I think Stephen was 12. I mean, he was 13 maybe. He's pretty young. And so I sneak up on this bear, and I get about where I can take a shot, and I made a little noise, and, you know, their hearing is superb. And he got alert, and then he went back to sniffing and eating grass or whatever. So I thought I could take a couple more steps to get myself squared around. Well, he heard the next step, and he took three bounds and jumped up on the side of the tree, and I just drew back and shot. <laughs> and I shot low. He's, you know, he's heads up and his tail down, and I hit him in the hams, hit the big jug, big uh, artery back there, and uh, he hung there until he fell off and died. But <laughs> my son Steve said, "Dad, why did you shoot him in the butt?" <laughs> I said, "Well, that wasn't where I was aiming." <laughs> Oh, man, that's great. I think that's the story he was talking about. Okay, yeah, yeah, he told me, and I was like, oh, I'll ask him. (laughs) That's great. That's awesome. Um, Well, yeah, I would like to uh, wrap this up with uh, maybe just a little talk about your equipment. Um, Okay. uh, What are you using now? Uh, How how things have, uh, you know, how things have changed for you? And and, um, Well, as far as uh, bows, I, of course, been shooting stick bows, I, I shot Brackenberry's bows for so many years. And, you know, yeah, he was a good friend of mine. Yeah, the uh, the, the legend is that uh, is, is that really you? Yep, <laughs> I, the living legend. Here I am. I knew it. Did, you know the story behind that? I don't. I'd love to hear it. Well, um, Dwight Shue wrote a story. You know, this is back before anybody knew who I was, of course, and um, and uh, he wrote a story about Billy Cruz and myself, and he called them the legends of. The Wallowa Mountains, I think it was that's okay. And so, uh, uh, oh gosh, my mind went blank. Anyway, so Bracken, oh, it's Brackenberry. Yeah. He started teasing me. He started calling me Legend. Hey, Legend, you know. Okay. <laughs> so I went along with it, you know. And so he built these two bows, and he brought them down, and. and uh, his first bows, they were a little blocky looking stuff, but they shot like a dream. They, I really liked the way they shot. And he said, I, I haven't put a name on these. And, and just kiddingly, I said, well, why don't you name them after me, the legend? <laughs> so that's what he did. Oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah, so that's how that came out. Anyway, um, at that time, I was shooting, I think I had, those were about 61, no, 67 pounds. Jim Jim Brackenberry, he was pretty instrumental here in the Pacific Northwest, yeah. uh, getting a lot of uh, well-known boyers uh, a start. Yes, yes, um, he helped a lot of people. Yeah, it, and he was he was pretty much a perfectionist. You know, he he made some good good product. Yeah. Anyway, I shot his boat for quite a while, and and then uh, after Jim died, uh, I've been shot a lot of different bows. But uh, since I went, uh, I'm. Uh, Aligned with Bowhunter Magazine, and and they are good enough to let me be on some of their programs, and mm-hmm. I shoot their their uh, sponsor bows, uh-huh. and so uh, I've got about a dozen bows from being a, from different sponsors. You know, like right. like we had uh, 
Black Widow was a uh, closed caption sponsor, and I got a nice Black Widow bow. Okay, yeah. Uh, and I shot it some, and it's a really sweet bow. And then, um, <clears throat> gee, I don't remember all of them, but then recently Three Rivers Archery has been a sponsor, and I shot their bows for several years. And uh, That's the Dalla? Is that the... The Dalla, uh-huh. which is a nice bow. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> but uh, they have dropped a sponsorship, so now I'm shooting, I'll be shooting a Hoyt. Uh-huh, the new Dalla. Sitar, Sitar? Well, I, I guess it was one of Eichler's. Uh, yeah, it's their sig- new Sitari or Safari. Well, I haven't got that yet, but yeah. I, I, I understand they got a new one coming Yeah, they up, got so a new one, yeah. I'll probably be shooting that. Okay, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and it's, a, you know, the, the Buffalo's a nice bow. It was my first recurve for the yeah. White Buffalo, yeah, yeah. That was my first one. And so. It um, is a nice bow. And <clears throat> since I've had shoulder surgery, yeah. right now I'm shooting with a mouth tab. You know, oh, you are, huh? Yeah. So, um, you know, I bite with my molar teeth. Now, didn't uh, your best buddy, uh, Dwight, didn't he yep. kill, what, was it a he, moose? He killed a moose. Yeah. i seen that footage. Yeah. I videotaped that okay. s- series, yeah. Okay. And so, you know, he's been my inspiration on that. I got thinking, well, Dwight did that. It wasn't with a recurve. But, so I actually hunted last fall with, with that, and, and I got a shot at an elk, and I shot low. So I was really, and it was a big, big, big bull. Now you're not shoot, still shooting 75 pounds, are you? No, no, no. <laughs> no, I have I've been been shooting 55 with a dollar. I, up to that point, I was shooting 60. But uh, I like the longer bows. You know, okay. like I like a, a 60, 62 is short for me. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of people think that's long, but yeah. no. So I like 64, 66. Six. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, in some of the blinds... Uh, I've been shooting 64 right now because in some of the blinds, like when I hunt turkeys and stuff, uh, the blinds are too short. short. So uh, i got to watch that. <clears throat> but, you know, they from one bow to the next, it's it's not much difference. I mean, all uh, some shoot a little bit smoother, don't, you know, don't come down with as much jar yeah. and that sort of thing. But I've never had much of a problem grabbing any bow and, and shooting it. I mean, I'm not a I'm not a uh, top shooter. I mean, I shoot. He's lying. <laughs> I shoot. I see, think I can shoot pretty good. Okay, but um, in fact, uh, sometimes when I go to these tournaments or, or shoot a field course, some I'm probably in the top ten percent. Yeah. But the rest of the stick bow shooters I'm talking about stick bow shooters yeah I, I've seen you shoot Larry I've the, seen you shoot the rest of the stick bow shooters just can't shoot yeah, <laughs> yeah. right but I can shoot okay you know so I and uh, I'm, I'm shooting okay with my mouth tab you uh, are yeah. huh? well not out long distances yeah out to 20 I can you know that's impressive yeah. that's impressive Damn. it's not impressive but it's you know it's just a way of uh, being able to get out and to keep going, yeah, keep moving, yeah. yeah. So, have, I'm, I'm, have you uh, uh, you shoot your right-handed shooter? Yes. Yeah. Have you have you tried shooting left-handed? Well, I still got to get this arm up and hold the bow. So, True. Yeah. And I'm right-eyed, so yeah, I, I have not. Yeah. Uh, and I've got a hog hunt set up for the end of the month. Oh, nice. So and, you're and some turkeys. I'm going California. To, yeah. So I'm going to try yeah. to. See if I can Very cool. put a show together with shooting them with a mouth. Okay. <laughs> um, is, uh, how did the clicker get on your bow? I know it's been on there for a while. Uh, target Panic. Yeah. Yeah, I got to get out of Target Panic. And when, when I shoot with the clicker, if I go through the formalities of 
getting where I think I'm on because I shoot, and I really don't call it instinctive. It's a learned skill. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. intuitive. But, yeah, but some people are yeah. have more of a natural, ta- you know, sure than others. But uh, so what I basically what I do is I aim. Okay, and this is how I aim because a lot of people, especially people who are new to the stick bow shooting, shooting what they call instinctive. They say, well, you just look at the spot and shoot. Well, no, that's more to it than that. Yeah. You look at the spot you want to hit. That is critical and, and very, very important. But as you draw that arrow back in your secondary vision, you're lining that shaft up. Yeah. So that's part of aiming. Yeah. And then by shooting enough arrows Creating at different distances, you know, you'll be your your mind will be able to see where it, what where that hand has to be for that arrow to fly in there. So if you get get the alignment, you're looking for that yeah so, that, that sight picture. So what my my style of shooting is, I look at the spot. After I get my fingers on the string and my bow, my hand and my bow where I want it. You know, I'm ready to go. I look at the spot I'm going to shoot at. As I draw back, I'm lining it up, and then I adjust just maybe a little bit up or down, depending on the distance. And when I see, okay, it looks like it's going to fly right into that spot I'm looking at, then I start pushing with my my hand, my uh, bow arm straight forward and lifting my elbow. And when Push that clicker goes off, I release and touch my shoulder. That's my perfect shot. And I'll hit... You would think that I learned to shoot a bow from you. I mean, there's a lot of ways to get to point A. I got mm-hmm. friends that shoot gap and uh, fixed crawl mm-hmm. and, you know, uh, instinctive, whatever. But, I mean, you you described exactly how I shoot a bow. I, mm-hmm. I look for that sight picture. <clears throat> I get my fingers on the string. I look at that sight picture. I get back. And uh, once that sight picture looks good to me, I start pushing and pulling until that clicker breaks and then my hand falls through and hits my shoulder. I mean, it's exactly. That's what you practice over and yep, over and over That's again. my routine. And even if you get up on an animal and you need to take the quick shot, or if you're pushing and yep. pulling and you're up on her, yep. you're going to kill it. Yeah, I can make it happen quick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the, uh, the clicker's <clears throat> been on my bow for uh, uh, one little over a year now. Mm-hmm. And um, I think my desire to get better, because I, I just shoot every day. And, that's great. And um, my desire to get better, uh, I started getting locked uh, under target and... Um, you know, started uh, getting the the gremlins. Yep. And um, you know, the the clicker with the instruction um, that I received from Joel Turner, um, he he got me through that, and and uh, um, it's great. It's keeping me in the mm-hmm. game, and <clears throat> and uh, I love it. Now, have you? My question is about it. Is have you um, gone and shot the bow without it, um, which I haven't done uh, now that I've had it. Um, have you tried to wing yourself from it, or do you just feel it's such a good tool that you... You'd... I just think it's a good tool. I mean, I can, you know, I've shot bows briefly without one. Sure. You know, somebody says, oh, so, yeah. try, pull my bow, or, can, you know, whatever, or I say, can I go yeah. shoot your bow? But uh, it doesn't take you long to get back into old habits. It doesn't, you yeah. Know? You know, the best habit is make that thing click and touch your shoulder. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, uh, so I've, I'm shooting the clicker with my mouth tap. That was the, that was what I was wondering. Yeah, I started out because that tells you if you're not. not all, I feel it's an onboard coach too. I mean, not mm-hmm. only because it's not only telling you when to shoot, but you're getting to full draw 
and consistency. I had I had a um, problem that I didn't realize. Uh, well, I realized it. I was um, overdrawing, so I was drawing like thirty one, mm-hmm. settling into twenty nine, creep, 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 and then shoot. And with the clicker, if you overdraw, it clicks. So I got let down. So as soon as I start to draw, I'm, I'm doing this overdraw thing. That went away really fast with the clicker mm-hmm. because you can't. Oh, you know, so that it was like an onboard coach. It taught me not to overdraw. It kept me uh, in my back wall. It did well, a lot I think you, I think you've got to, when you put the clicker on, you've got to figure out where that exact point is because if it's too long, you're going to yeah. shoot to one side or the other. It's yeah. easier to. And, and you can really find where your true draw length is. Mm-hmm. I, I ended up uh, on the long bow I shot last year. Um, I, I was right uh, a smidge under thirty, and I just got a brand new um, uh, blacktail Colombian uh, longbow that Norm just redesigned. And uh, with that bow, like you said, I I uh, got it all tuned in, and I'm at twenty nine and a half. So I I lost a little bit of draw on that particular mm-hmm. model, but just where where your back breaks. It's where that clicker needs to be, and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's been helpful. But I find me. that clicker is not just at right on the money where I yeah. want it. If it's too long, I'm struggling. Yep. If it's too short, I'm probably collapsing into collapsing it. Collapsing into it, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it is like an onboard coach, yeah. and it's been yeah, It's fun. a really good tool. I, I prefer the one that's called a cricket. Over the clickety-clack? Yeah. Yep. Because uh, it's got a little longer piece of uh, metal okay. in it. It doesn't take as much pressure. Yeah. To make it click. Yeah. Or the clicky click is stiffer. Yeah. So. Just, and the, and, the, and, I've shot, and, the, I've shot and the cricket has the smaller housing, which is nice. Yeah, I don't yeah. know if it's that big a deal. Yeah. But the main thing is. Yeah, I, I just switched. I had the clickety clack last year, and I was picked up a cricket and put it on my bow this year, and and uh, yeah, it is. Uh, it does have a, a little longer uh, mm-hmm. pull there. So. And I usually take. They come with a chain. Yeah, you can get rid of that chain. Get rid of the chain. Use it, you know, a piece of uh, twine of some I'm sort. I'm using that cord um, that the compound guys use for their D loops. Oh, that's pretty um, stiff, though. Uh, yeah, but it's it it seems to work pretty well. well what, it what, it, what it what it does is um, it's kind of stiff, so it doesn't seem to want to grab onto brush and stuff. It kind of oh. just stays stiff and. And uh, um, it works well for the to pull through the shot, but it doesn't seem to uh, want to grab onto stuff in that uh, rainforest I live in. Well, uh, I I really appreciate you uh, being my first guest, and uh, this was uh, this was very awesome. Um, is there anything you uh, can leave us with? Maybe. Uh... Okay. Yeah. Uh, I would like to leave you with to all the guys out there that and gals that that, that like to bow hunt like I do, and like to, especially like to use a stick bow, all of you send me some money so I can go on another hunt. Hear that? <laughs> uh, D. Jones is looking for uh, uh, donations. Maybe, maybe something up north. Yeah, another uh, moose hunt or something. Another moose hunt, he says. So uh, we're going to have to make those uh, uh, checks thick and, and yeah. long. <laughs> no, I just, I just love the bow hunt, you know, and, and uh, I can I can hunt anything i mean i don't care if it's turkeys or hogs or javelina or rabbits i just love shooting i love shooting the bow and i like shooting stuff <laughs> yeah, that's awesome you're you're uh, you're an inspiration to uh to all of us uh if uh if if i can be out bow hunting uh when i'm your age uh that's the dream i mean that's what i'm shooting for that's uh why uh um, training and dieting and just trying to you know live right with mm-hmm. my family is uh, i want to enjoy uh 
the outdoors uh, for as long as I can. The other thing is, you know, really to be a successful bow hunter, you know, I was joking around about the money, but if they want to send me some, that's fine. (laughs) But uh, to be persistent, and that's what I am. I'm a persistent hunter when it comes, especially when it comes to elk hunting. You have to be in good physical condition. And it starts from your feet up. In other words, you got you know, if you can't move around and, and get around, so just keep yourself in as good a physical condition as you can, and uh, you know, try to get yourself in in to the point when the season opens, you're ready for it, physically and mentally. I, I don't think uh, there's better advice out there. Yeah. Um, so with that, uh, we thank you and. Um, I look forward to, uh, well, I don't look forward to seeing you in my hunting spots, I, I look, <laughs> uh, but, but I, I, I do look forward to seeing some more footage, and uh, good luck on your uh, uh, tab shooting hogs uh, this spring. Thank you. Thank you very much, Larry. Thank you so much for joining us. After this interview, I had the pleasure of shooting some arrows with Larry in his backyard, and at the present moment... Due to a shoulder injury, Larry is drawing the bow back with his mouth in preparation for an up-and-coming turkey and pig hunt in California this spring. This guy is the man, the real deal. Uh, I I really look forward to spending more time with Larry in the future. Um, Look out for episode two with a good friend of mine, Chris Tipton, as we talk about his once-in-a-lifetime Oregon bighorn sheep hunt Uh, Also, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. And if you got a moment, please leave a review. That would help the podcast out a lot. Thank you very much.